There's a grief that can't be spoken. There's a pain goes on and on. Empty chairs at empty tables. Now my friends are dead and gone. Here they talked of revolution. Here it was they lit the flame. Here they sang about tomorrow. And tomorrow never came. Welcome to the Up for Discussion podcast, guys. My name is Tim Blay. I am Tom Zalatni. And we've got a special guest with us today, Albert Tibrak. Hi, guys. Thanks Hi, for Albert. Me. I appreciate it. How you doing? Pretty good, thanks. Now, how do you come to be on this show of shows? So I know Tom through uh, improv comedy. Ooh. And uh, yeah, we've taken some classes together. Unfortunately, I did not take the last batch. I'm planning to, but it happens. So you're still stuck down at, what is it, level two? Level two, the dark, dark place that is level two. Mm, it's true. Yeah, that's the one underground with the, like... The Goombas that are all greeny and weird. Yeah, the song's pretty good, though. Dun yeah, and like if you get right up to the top, you can just breeze through to the end and walk oh, right yeah. to like World 4, right? For, I, all the time. Yeah, so that's that's helpful, right? Yeah, I haven't been able to get past the first little pit, though. So Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Those little pits really are the pits. They are. Guys, don't do the Up for Discussion podcast. It's the only show on the internet. We talk about the shows we talk about in the order we talk about them. The only <laughs> show we're talking about tonight is the Tony's. Up for Discussion podcast. <laughs> the only show on the internet where we talk about the things we talk about in the order we talk about them. That. Yeah. Let's yeah. talk about our show. Let's talk about our show. Wow. Guys, our show uh, airs every Wednesday on iTunes and SoundCloud. It does. You uh, can tune in. If you're not tuned into this show, don't touch that dial. How'd you get here? Where'd you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? Hello. <laughs> so we need to quickly talk about the Tonys. Oh, yeah. And just say that Hamilton won everything. And Hamilton not surprised. swept swept the things. It was nominated for, what, 16? 16, and it won 11. It won 11. But like so. a few of those were like doubled up. Mm. Yeah, like it wasn't possible to win all 16 unless they just shared them. Like, yeah. ah, Chris Jackson and uh, Debbie Diggs, we can't choose between you two. You just we had to, though. In. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a musicals fan, Albert? Uh I'm a fan, but I don't follow. Mm. That's fair. Yeah, we had a we had a pretty good time. It's cool to like be because we this is the first year that I actually like watched the Tonys and particularly watched them with a whole bunch of like musical theater fans who are way more musical theatery than me. Mm. So it's nice. It feels like yeah, this alternate world. It's like when you watch sports with people who are really into sports, right? And like even if you don't get it, you're, you're so super excited it. for yeah. for that. Except it's you know, instead of a little puck, it's like, oh, this person who was on this show that you've never heard of 30 years ago, but I love them so much. It was good. Yeah. <laughs> well, like Frasier's ex-wife from Frasier, like presented one of the awards last night. Oh, really? And that was, uh, that was a good moment for me. Has Kelsey Grammer ever been on a Broadway show? Yeah, he was in uh, Finding Neverland oh, last really? year. Nice. Yeah, maybe even still. I'm not sure. Mm. That show's not very good. <laughs> But Fair you know, enough. it has the Kells, so the Kells. It could be worse. Mm. Yeah. What do you think? So you enjoy musicals, but you're not like a diehard musical guy. Yeah, like I, I I've hit musicals a fringe amount of times, like mm. a very small. I want to get. I would like to get into it more. What but, would you uh, say is your favorite that you've seen so far? Uh, Maybe we can recommend stuff that will see or heard. You. So I think my first one was Annie. Oh really? Yeah, I dated a a girl that was playing the saxophone in the. The little orchestra part. Nice. Um, what else have I seen? I don't even know. It's hard to play a saxophone because like, you have to pretend to have all these valves on you all over the place. <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, have you seen like any, any modern musicals? Like the big smashes recently? Or heard them? You know, your no. rants, your I've, wickeds, your sounds of music. I've, I've caught a... Oh, sounds of music. <laughs> Your sounds of music. Hey, hey, don't try to swing that one by me. You're a Jesus Christ superstar. Yeah, I've seen that one. Um, so good. But yeah, I mean, like, I have i don't think other than that, I've been to actual theater to watch it. Mm-hmm. I think I've just watched the ones that hit the TV screen. Yeah, that's fair. It's hard to get, to, like, you know, because the good Broadway productions, it's like, you know, several hundreds of dollars mm-hmm. to go see them. And then if you go to a local theater, like, it's good, but then... 
if you're already familiar with the musical, it's like, this is not the people I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough to like find a chance to see them in live settings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it has a, a nice feel to it. Like even plays like watching like Shakespeare mm-hmm. versus like watching on TV. It's the live version of it is uh, a lot more interactive or at least yeah. the audience has like a bit of play with it. Like it has a presence that gets you into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It develops this own, its own sort of like universe, right? Like mm-hmm. I find that I always spend about the first 10 minutes of a play or a musical like conscious that I am in a chair watching the people on the stage. And then if it's like, if it's well done, then I start forgetting that and it becomes this mm-hmm. world. Right. Yeah. So that's it's very I, yeah. immersive. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because you never actually leave your chair or get any closer. Mm-hmm. No. But I think the other thing, like when you see a play in a theater, like you don't have your phone on, you can't pause it. Like, yeah, you really are like just there in that moment. And like, it's a lot more frowned upon to like make any type of sound in that setting mm-hmm. than it is in a movie theater. Yeah. So in a movie theater, you can like whisper to your friend, you know, maybe subtly check your phone. If you do that kind of thing in an actual theater theater, you usually get in trouble for it. Yeah, for so sure. It, it it kind of forces it to be a more engaging yeah, situation. Oh, for sure. And I think it's impossible to fake that perception that like, oh, this person is doing this right now in front of me, right? Mm. Like, Except I have a really bad habit of when like I'm watching something funny on and in, in a live environment mm-hmm. and I can see the premise of the joke coming, I'll like give a little like snicker beforehand. <laughs> and, like it must be annoying for some people. Not that they like don't get it or do get it. Just like, like, come on, just wait. Like, it's coming. Just wait that extra moment. Right. Uh, I get that, though. Sometimes there's there's humor in the anticipation of the joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. But do you, th- do you think you have, like, a an attuned perception of humor? that you Like, have you studied humor to the extent that you can kind of see those coming more than most people? I would love to think that that's the case, but I don't think so. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's level three stuff. Oh, once you oh, once you've done sure. three of improv, you'll be able to see where humor lies. Tom has leveled up, whereas I'm just down there at level zero, thinking that the jokes that I see are funny. Whereas you guys are like, "Oh, that wasn't even the actual joke. The real joke happened like five beats beforehand. We yeah. were all laughing, and you're just a sucker." Well, not to get like too complicated, but level three is where it opens up comedically. I think. I think so. Yeah. And what do you mean by that? So, like levels one and two, you're mostly learning sort of tools of how to be i guess how to be wow uh like physical things verbal things two thousand years of ontology and metaphysics (laughs) that's it yeah yeah. all right man to improv or not to improv yes and (laughs) 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 whereas like in level three and above you start to sort of do more um like scene work basically okay so you're actually like actively doing improv whereas before that it's a lot of like games to sort of get you into the right mindset Hmm. So level three is more like you just you just sort of throw together a scene and you don't need as much like being in a box being told what you're allowed to do and not do. Right. Although those boxes tend to create for fun situations mm-hmm. as right. well, right? Because it's you're playing within like a set of rules that are pre-established and there's a sort of game to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's fun, fun to be limited because you have that space that you have to like flourish in. Yeah. You have to go outside of that, but stay within at the same time. Yeah. Mm. At least at our, at our improv school. And like I've been told by teachers at our school that like improv is taught differently here than it is at like bigger schools like UCB and Groundlings and stuff like that. Uh, just because it's less competitive here. It's more of a like fun community environment. Is improv yeah. sometimes more of like a competition type thing? Oh, totally. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Even like the Toronto studios, um, like Second City and there's a, there's a few others there. They take it very seriously. Okay. But here it's more casual. Mm. Yeah. Which so, is, yeah. you know, it has its ups and downs, right? Because it means that there's people who aren't taking it all that seriously. You know? And right. I think for me, like, there's a balance, right? Like, I want to take it seriously, but not be taking it seriously in a way that makes me competitive. Well, there's room for both of those, right? And yeah. it should be, like, it's the same with sports, right? You don't want only terrible teams where no one takes it seriously. Right. But you also don't want only professional teams where no one can play unless they've been doing it for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. And and improv really is like comedy sports. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you get up there, you have all this stuff that you've trained in a little bit. You've got people with you that you may or may not know super well. If you do know them super well and you've done it before, you've got that training together and the camaraderie. 
but otherwise you're just getting up there and you're like okay let's see what happens and you have to use those skills in the moment to do something snappy Mm. so have you guys found that like since starting improv it's had like an effect on your wider life like does it change how you see things or like the types of conversations you have uh well we had the one status class um just all about mannerisms and things you can say and do um and we had a few games around that but since that class um i have been like thinking of status when when people talk to me um even like when like i I, i'm in this engineering world as my job and Mm -hmm. i can see people um you know they'll they'll call you to their office and i i don't know if they're doing it intentionally but um, it's their, their domain. They right. have, they have the, the strength there and they'll do that if they're trying to convince you of something. Um, there's no uh. like neutral ground, but at the same time, would neutral ground really happen in that environment? I don't know. Right. Hmm. So what, can you explain to me a little bit what you mean by like status? Like what did the, what did you learn about status in improv? So status was about how, how a person conveys themselves in relation to others. So um, it's not, it, it's key to, to say that in improv class, we, we were taught, like, it's not linked to wealth. It, it can, it can be related to wealth, but it's not linked. So right. you can s- still have someone with high status, but low wealth. Okay. But it's more, more about their, their presence. So, um, how they have control of the situation and how, how they're able to, I guess, um, have dominion over the people in that area. Hmm, okay. So, so how do you how do you show that as an actor? So um, I guess some of the things that we we were taught are just you know make yourself big. Don't don't slouch. Don't um, <laughs> talk talk with direct um, sayings. Don't say like questions. Questions even if they're the intent is good or to bring light to something. If you phrase it in a very poignant way. And just like not like it's a question, um, you're almost commanding, mm-hmm. and that gives you more status. And one of the cool things that our studio is like, um, try the. They, they told us to try the the generous um, status giver. Mm-hmm. So rather than like like wealthy, you know, taking control, there's also a, a high status with like um, giving. So like holding a door for someone. Okay. Um, but doing so in like a way that expresses like you know i'm doing this because i'm a good person yeah as opposed to i'm doing this because i feel like i have to because otherwise you're going to kick my butt mm-hmm. oh, okay. like i'm i'm doing this like i have so much ability right now that i can throw it out i can i can give you it okay I, this is kind of the chivalry thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay yeah but yeah I, that's it and it, it's kind of like you you show that in your actions and in your speech and it's like you're saying like you know a low status character is going to be sort of like timid and shy and maybe even afraid of the other people on the stage um mm-hmm. whereas a high status person is confident right uh but the cool thing is when you know during a scene like the natural flow is that at some point those things can flip mm-hmm. okay and so you'll have all of a sudden this moment where something changes and one of those characters completely changes where they're at oh interesting which usually leads to the other character kind of either falling or rising in relation mm-hmm. and it creates this like comedy and this tension that's you know palpable interesting okay (laughs) so you guys tried using this in real life now that you know the secrets of projecting status oh i'm constantly confusing and confounding the british henchmen (laughs) oh sure you are sure you are (laughs) no i I think i just monitor it more um i don't know it feels weird to 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 try to like i act like i have status or Mm. i don't know it's it's all a construct really right Right. right? well it is but it might be a construct that's like embedded into the human psyche for sure so like yeah Everything's a construct, sure, but it doesn't mean you can't use it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I think the big takeaway for me in terms of like what I learned from improv related to my social interactions with people is like the sort of give and take of conversation. So, like, hmm. if you're telling me about something, uh, I want you to feel like I care about what you're talking about. Okay. Usually I do, but sometimes I don't. <laughs> but you still uh, want to convey that impression because it. Because it's yeah. better for the relationship, right? Yeah. Uh, and so the, the way that you do that is by, like, you know, repeating the things that people are saying. So you listen to the end of the sentence and you, like, say it back to them. Or say you, it like, back to them, okay. Yeah, or you ask them to give you further detail about that. Okay. Uh, to expand. What do you mean by that? 
So say I tell you uh, this conversation that we're having right now uh, is something that makes me feel like I know what I'm talking about and it puts okay. me in a position of status. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you say, tell me more about that. And I open up a little bit more about how, you know, I didn't grow up with a dad. And so I grew up in a sort of naturally low status position where I, I felt like I was less than people. Uh, and so putting myself in high status positions, the older I get, mm. makes me feel better about myself. Wow. That's, uh, that's fascinating, Tom. I really appreciate what you had to say just there. Yes, and... <laughs> <laughs> mm. Well, try not to use your powers for evil, both of you. Um, you know, I feel like I'm, once again, I'm, I'm like a human among Jedi now. Because you guys have these mind powers. And I'm not even going to know if you're using them on me. You could both just be, you know, projecting all these thoughts into my head based on your subtle social cues. Well, we were having a conversation the whole time. Oh, man. Yeah. You just didn't notice it. Sorry. Can you like re record it afterwards and put it in over <laughs> top so we can get an insight into this brilliance? <laughs> Only if we can delete the past 30 seconds of this conversation so that the audience has no idea why they're hearing two things happening at once. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. <laughs> mm. So I saw an interesting thing this week. This is totally random, but it's related to theater. Okay. Um. I think it was this week. I didn't talk about this last week, did I? Um, Shakespeare. You mentioned Shakespeare and watching it live. There was a thing I discovered recently on YouTube, and it was it was a guy who at the like the Globe Theater in um, Britain, which is like the reconstruction of the original theater that Shakespeare used. Um, they hired this um, this like director actor who happens to have a linguistic a linguistics professor as a dad. And they hired the pair of them to like reconstruct the original English that Shakespeare would have said, like the accents mm. and stuff. Um, and it's actually like, it's surprisingly, it, it makes Shakespeare make so much more sense. Like you usually think of Shakespeare being like this, you know, this high, like received pronunciation, like, you know, um, but to be or not to be, that is the question, right? Mm -hmm. um, but really the way Shakespeare was, was speaking at the time, it was, it was a low status version of english like mm -hmm. it wasn't this big thing it's more like to be or not to be like that is the question I, I i can't even do it but there's a lot of like it It sort of sounds like you know hagrid in uh, harry potter yeah that's like the closest i can get to like an accent of what it would have sounded like okay. that's the owl um, right no it's the, <laughs> the giant guy come on oh he's got got his r's and his glottal stops you know um and it's very much that kind of english which is it's really interesting when you hear it because it makes a lot of the things that sound really arcane like make a lot more sense because things like, like, oi, tis Ophelia doesn't sound when it's like, oi, tis Ophelia, right? It's mm -hmm. like, it's actually the kind of things that are, still show up in those dialects. <laughs> um, so it's really interesting, I think. Yeah. Well, it's a guy named Bill, uh, Ben Crystal, if you want to look ben him up. Ben Crystal. Yeah, someone was telling me about that the other day, how like, maybe we were talking about this. It even. probably was you and me, yeah. Um, how the like the old, old British accent would have been a lot more like sort of American Southern English today. Well, well, the thing is that that's, that's the era from which everybody in Britain went out and colonized the world. Right. right. So there's bits of that, that remain in Can like the Canadian raising kind of thing that was mm. sort of in there. Bits of Australian accents are, you know, survived like different bits of American accents and like mm. all these different sections of Britain and Ireland and stuff. Actually, there's a lot of stuff in that accent that sounds like a pirate. Um, like the, the R is like a doggy kind of like growl sound. It's weird. Um, but there's things in Shakespeare that it makes it make a lot more sense, like a lot of rhymes that actually work. Um, mm. Like the end of Sonnet 116, I think, which is like, um, if this be error and upon me proved, I never writ nor no man ever loved. Which is like, that doesn't rhyme. But in the original, it's like, if this be our and upon me proved, I never read nor no man ever loved. Hmm. It's like, oh, it works. It's nice. Yeah, it's Shakespeare really cool. has a lot of little things like that where it's like the, 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 the words that he tries to rhyme on in our dialect make no sense. Yeah, because those have separated out into this yeah, modern English now. Hmm. Anyways, I encourage you to look that up, hmm. people who are listening. And fun times. if you are fans of the theater, uh, our regular co-host Simon, who can't be here today, uh, is in a fringe show going mm. on right now. Fringe Montreal. Uh, we have a fringe festival every year, which is like an emerging arts thing, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, basically like, you know, just indie theater stuff. Yeah. No and, rules, uh, no boundaries. 
Simon's show, Coffee Erotica, is playing tonight, June 15th at 8 p.m., uh, Friday night, June 17th at 6.30, and June 19th, which I guess is Sunday, at 1.45. Yeah, if you're in Montreal, I recommend you go to this. We, uh, Tom and I went on opening evening, mm-hmm. and it was a lot better than we expected, <laughs> I think. Yeah, it was, it was really good. Yeah, you go to see your friend's show and you're like, okay, well, maybe it'll be good or maybe I'll just, you know, applaud it because it's my friend. But like, I was, I was impressed. Yeah, it was a very impressive show. Yeah. I, all I knew about it going in was the like voiceover poem mm-hmm. that they had recorded because I helped them record that. Um, but uh, there was like a whole choreography set to it and it ended up being actually kind of funny. Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot more humorous than I was expecting for a bunch of mm-hmm. love poems directed at coffee, which I guess is inherently kind of funny. It is. Yeah, but. but the the language of the poems itself is not inherently funny yeah and so it's, it's, it took david the director interpreting it and then getting claire the choreography to make it something that was like kind of a little bit silly but still very like well crafted mm-hmm. yeah it, it's it's very impressive yeah and i think it was that was a very good good idea to bring it in that direction because it mm-hmm. makes it this like sort of sweet vignette about this mundanity of life in a way that's just like drinking coffee and it, I, I don't know it gets you into like the depth of that emotional experience while also laughing at like how seriously you can take little things like that right yeah and you get to see simon running around in his underwear a little bit that's true yeah that's always a plus if you ever want to see simon in his underwear you ever heard simon's sexy voice in the podcast and just thought man that guy would look good in underwear yeah well look no further coffee no. erotica Fringe Montreal 2016. Brought to you by Masterbus. Masterbus. For everything else, is Masterbus. Ding. Call 1-800-MASTERBUS. So, uh, what else have you guys been thinking about these days? I've been thinking about a Patreon-submitted question that we received the other day. Oh, snap. That's a <laughs> very... That's an interesting thing to have thought about, and so random. I know. It's almost like I, we get paid to think about them whoa uh, so uh patreon is a crowdfunding platform that allows content creators like us to make the things that you guys like to listen to uh in direct communication with their audience uh and directly funded by the audience at zero cost to ourselves uh if you sign up you get exclusive content and shout outs and you get to like st- literally steer the direction of our conversations which is kind of fun yeah when we run out of random things to say we turn to you for aid <laughs> uh and so this week we are turning to patrick who is one of our four patreon subscribers four we got a fourth this week what? uh so we will also give a quick shout out to nathan clay and joanne whoa uh, clay thanks bro patrick this week sent us in a question asking how would the world be different had humans not become the dominant species and instead it had been like ostriches or something um, I think, well, I mean, first of all, ostriches had their shot. I mean, what were dinosaurs if not really big ostriches? You're right. Like, so how would the world be different if ostriches ruled the world? Be, uh, you know, watch that one movie with those dinosaurs. I don't know. Has the there ever been like a time? good, has there ever been a good dinosaur movie made that would actually show that? The Land Before Time? Oh yeah, I guess so. Do you ever watch The Land Before Time? I have. There's actually a movie called Good Dinosaur that just came out, though. Oh, really? Did you see mm-hmm. that? Yeah, it was really good. Yeah? Yeah. Hmm. Very, very sad at some points. Is it like the, the end of the dinosaur world? Like the? No, it's actually like where the dinosaurs are the dominant species and humans are like gerbils. Okay. And then they lose their human and he has to go get his human back. Because he's, so, he's so invested in the human. Okay. Hmm. So you, this gives you some real insight into this That's question. That's right. All right. But my big thing is, like, if it was ostriches, how would they, like, they can't use their wings to type and to do things because you need, like, fine motor skills to actually have, like, use of technology or just, like, use your voices eventually. But you have Mm -hmm. to make that, right? Right. So are we imagining that these ostriches are, like, of human intelligence? I guess they're the ones that took over the world? Huh. Well, yeah, that's interesting because, like, had society evolved with ostriches, we wouldn't necessarily have so many things that require fine motor skills, right? Things mm-hmm. might be a little bit more. Mm. Yeah. Like, like they would have, they wouldn't have involved, like it wouldn't have been sort of like that fine writing that we have to communicate. Maybe it would have been just a lot of head bobs and wing flaps or dances like ants do. Yeah. Sure. Or bees. Or maybe they, they could have like, you know, enlisted primates that had, you know, good fingers, but no brains. To like do their fine motor skill stuff for them. Yeah. 
that's what Microsoft's been doing for years. <laughs> <laughs> Lol. There was a uh, there was a sci-fi story that I read at one point that explored a similar question to this in a weird way with rats. Um, it proposed a it was it was like a time travel story, and it proposed that when they turned on the next particle accelerator, they accidentally gave a couple of rats the ability to time travel into the past. Um, and so these, these rats are, it's kind of, it's kind of like, I don't know, jumper or whatever it is, like, or like the time traveler's wife, like one of those things where you just like random, they randomly sort of jump back into the past. Um, but because of this, they make these rats and then the rats start jumping back into the past and like further and further back and they can't control them until eventually they've like gone all the way back and changed all of civilization so that now rats have evolved into like the dominant species of human or like dominant species of intelligent life like splinter yeah and there's this big epic battle at the end where they're like they have to turn off the particle accelerator to prevent all this from happening and just before they do this like massive time traveling rat shows up from the future to like prevent them from from reverting the timeline (laughs) it's very odd but I think, like, for example, rats are pretty terrible, right? Like, I don't know if rats have the same moral guidelines as people. So well, I imagine it would, like, in that you case... You have a it, bias. I guess so. But, like, rats are not real... Are rats a social species? I, I guess they know. live in colonies, eh? Yeah, I'm not sure. Sometimes they get stuck together and turn into a rat king. That's <laughs> true. That's bloody frightening. <laughs> Do you know about that? I, well, it's like a old wives' tale or whatever they. No, have. this is a real thing. A rat king. A rat king. Their so tails get all weaved together, and then they become this like ball of rat. ball of rats. Yeah, it's but legit. How would they live? They would I, just, I don't like... think they do for very long. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. I'm not really sure about the veracity of that of that story about rat kings. I think I have to. I'm pretty sure that's real. But their tails are only so big. Like, you you can't really tangle it much. I mean, if you get if you got your tail tied in a knot with another rat's tail and you were a rat, how would you get it untied? It wouldn't have to be that complicated. Like they can't yeah. undo a brief knot or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm. But then you talk about like ten of them getting tied together. Like just stay away from the other ones once they're Yeah, it's true. Once you see two rats that have like tied themselves together, everyone else is kinda of like, Well, those guys are done. Let's, <laughs> let's back away from here slowly. <laughs> but maybe those rats like freak freak out and blunder into a bunch more rats and it just builds on itself. Like or maybe they're so social that they're like, Oh, but I want to be in that rat king ball. Right. Maybe oh, it's a hierarchy thing. Mm. And plus the like probably the most versatile part of a rat's body is its tail. So maybe the other rats are like, man, I'll help you out. I'll like try to untie you. <laughs> and then it doesn't work because they're dumb rats and they get stuck as well. Hmm. Who knows? Yeah. I like to think it's it's a status thing. Hmm. You know, you see two rats attached to each other is better than one. And right. so logically three rats attached to each other are better than two and so they just keep building up and like it's like a competition to see who can be Ooh. the biggest pile of rats right and it's it's like it's like the kings at the end of a checkerboard like once your rat gets all the way to the end like the highest status the only way to increase status is to pile another rat on top right and then it's like double the rat double the power and then you can move backwards a rat emperor at that point yeah eventually you become a rat god there's no going further from there. That's when you stack every rat in the world on top of each other. I'm beginning to feel like a rap god, rat god. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about, uh, so So what if instead of like not having humans, like say humans were still around, but we had ostriches, for example, who were like, imagine ostriches were just twice as smart as people. Whoa. Oh. So like there's still people, but we're no longer the dominant intelligence on the planet. Right. Um, how do you think that would change things? I think the world would be a better place. Because presumably, like, they would be able to manipulate the, us on the level that we manipulate, say, cows, mm. you know? So, they, so what would what would an ostrich want to use us for? They'd have control. I wonder if, like, ostriches being twice as, twice as smart. Twice as, twice as smart as us. Yeah. I wonder if ostriches having double our intelligence, just big old brains, like two times as many as us, would lead to them having, like, a foresight that we don't have. Hmm. Or if it would just lead to them being more skilled at like working things out, because that's kind of two different questions, right? Like being a you know being smarter on like a 
mathematical level, I guess, or on a technical level is a different thing from like being smarter on like a philosophical level where you can like kind of see where things will go later. Right. I think the way, you know, brains mostly learn by pattern recognition, right? So I think probably like the way that we perceive the future most of the time is not by reasoning it out super logically. It's by noticing that a pattern is repeating that we've seen in the past. Hmm. So maybe it would just be the complexity of the patterns they could recognize would be a lot greater, which probably would mean they could see a lot further into the potential future. Right. But probably also they could see a lot, you know, you could see a lot more creative solutions to problems. Hmm. But the other thing is that, you know, a, a, an ostrich that says intelligence is a human doesn't necessarily have to think like a human. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this is what I was trying to sort of explore with the rats before. Like there's no reason to think that like what's an ostrich social dynamic. They're pretty much solitary creatures. So they wouldn't necessarily have like empathy or like, like, you know, they'd still have a sex drive, but they wouldn't necessarily have like morals or like qualms about killing each other or us. Hmm. So, and, but ostriches are like notoriously depressive. Like they, in isolation, they can get like super depressed. So oh, really? maybe with like more intelligence, they'll almost get more depressed more quickly hmm. being like, Oh, I, I don't have control. It's true that in humans, you know, the smarter you are, the more likely it is that you'll be depressed. But yeah. who knows if that's <laughs> that would be true in ostriches. That seems like a flaw yeah. rather than a feature. Well, if they're twice as smart, which I mean, what is twice? Like, how do you define that? But no idea. Like the number of neurons in your brain or something. But uh, then maybe they could, you know, realize, oh, humans and ostriches can't exist on the planet. Let's just build the ostriches their own spaceship. <laughs> that's what they would they would think. And then they'd go on to their own planet, and we'd be we'd be left here in the exact same situation we're in now. Planet I mean, of the ostriches. <laughs> it would have to be a planet with a lot of like soft ground that they could put their faces in. That's that doesn't that's actually do, happen. Right? No, no, that's that is definitely an urban myth. They don't put their faces in the dirt. No. Oh my goodness. No, that's just a thing that some people made up to disparage the good name of ostrich kind. I've been lied to. I know, right? But the the thing about trying to figure out what an in, what something twice as intelligent than you will do is that it's literally impossible. Yeah. <laughs> because if you were twice as intelligent, you would know, but you're not. So I I think that's where we we might be heading with AI. If we right. can make an AI that can alter itself, and we can make it to around our intelligence and have it to the give it the ability to make itself more intelligent, then it could like just steamroll and. Yeah, and just gets smarter and smarter. And then you have literally no idea what it's going to do because it's better than you at thinking. Mm-hmm. Whoa. But yeah, I've I've gone on AI rants on this podcast before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Still haven't heard from you yet, Haley Joel Osment. Yeah, come on, man. Get up in here. We're waiting. Or that girl from Ex Machina. Haley yeah. Joel Osment? Yeah. Yeah, Haley with a like the female version of the name. Yeah. She was, yeah. She does not have a small face. <laughs> she does. She actually has a fairly small face. Yeah. Alicia Vikanders. But have you seen pictures of Haley Joel Osment recently? Because um, his face is pretty small. No, that's not true. It's pretty true. It's, he's got a James Corden kind of face. So that movie, I went into the theater knowing nothing about it. AI or Ex Machina? Ex Machina. Okay. And I was so pleasantly surprised. I love when you go to a movie and you have no idea and it just like surprises you in the best way possible. I didn't even mm. know it was a thriller. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think I went, in, I, I was a little bit opposite. It's a small face. It, okay. It's oh. a small face on a very large head. Yeah. That's, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think I, I confused face for head in my perception of Haley Joel Osmond. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I actually had the opposite problem. I went into that movie like, having a big expectation of it Mm. and was like mildly disappointed that it sort of played out the way that I expected it to because I knew it was a thriller and I I knew it was going to be that kind of thing. And I was like, maybe they'll find a really, really clever way to end it. And then they sort of ended it the way I expected with the AI, you know, spoiler alert, taking over stuff. What movie is this? Ex Machina. I know nothing about this. It's a it's a movie. It's another movie about artificial intelligence, but it's this AI girl and a guy gets brought in to decide whether or not she's really intelligent or not. Okay. And then she like tricks him and the scientist and like does all sorts of havoc because she's really smart, right? No, that's, 
one thing I didn't get about the title, like I, I get one part of Ex Machi, but but isn't it that also a plot device? Like Ex Machina is like a plot device mm-hmm. where it's like they're retconning something basically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Deus Ex Machina is it's not retcon, but it's when like something like the world just conspires to solve your problem, right? It's like the I mean, literally, what it means is the god and the machine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but usually, it's you know you can't figure out a, how to solve a problem. Oh. A meteor killed the villain. Yay. Yay. <laughs> or like, yeah. But that wasn't in the movie at all. Yeah, no, okay, that's... It was like a completely separate idea with It's that. It's playing yeah. on that idea of like, you know, there, there being a, you know, a god or like a, a mm. you know, a real human presence or, or intelligent presence inside a machine, right? Mm. Yeah. So did that movie use plot devices like that at all? Um, I don't think so. Not that I know of. So they picked a stupid name then. You picked a stupid <laughs> name for yourself, Tom uh-huh. Poopface Zalatni. You know, I thought it was a good idea at the time. <laughs> I have since come to regret it. I'm willing to admit this. Yeah, Zalatni is a dumb name. Poopface, yeah. I love. Poopface keep, is great. Keep the poopface. It's great. Yeah. 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 Like everyone knows how to pronounce that. You know, it's easy to spell. Yeah. Sometimes I get questions about the hyphen. Yeah, it's it's there's a there's an umlaut over the u, is yeah. that right? And two hyphens, which is the problem. Poop face. Nobody ever thinks nobody ever thinks to add a second hyphen. Yeah. It's true. Wait, where's the, the two hyphens are together, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's okay. poop hyphen hyphen face. Yeah. Yeah. What's the most clever use of hyphen you've ever seen? <laughs> That's a um maybe whoever came up with using it to separate words. That was a pretty clever use. Oh, I'm Tim Blay. I have a master's in physics. Uh, I don't know. Maybe a mi- really good minus sign. <laughs> You've asked a difficult question okay, here. I don't your, know how to respond. What's your preferred use of hyphen? Do you prefer it as a way to join two words together or as a way to end a sentence and then add some extra thoughts about it before continuing the sentence? Oh, like the du- like the double dash thing. Double dash? Well, double hyphen, right? <laughs> you know, Toad and Toadette sitting in a car together. And- I'm really a fan of like that, that thing where... Where like, I don't know, on typewriters it's a double dash, but then on word processes it turns into like a long hyphen mm-hmm. where you, yeah, you separate out a thought and then you have another long hyphen and you can do this. Right, it's right. like, it's like parentheses, but it's not quite parentheses. Yeah. It's like more subtle. Mm, it's a tasty sentence. Mm. Welcome to Grammar cra- GrammarCast. Yeah. <laughs> the only show on the internet where we grammar. <laughs> yes. We have a special guest with us tonight. Please give a warm up for grammar, welcome to Kelsey Grammar. <laughs> so, Kelsey Grammar, Hello. what's your favorite use of the hyphen? Ah, my favorite use of the hyphen was in episode three of Fraser when I used it to hyphenate a script because I'm Dr. Fraser Crane and I'm very smart and drunk all the time. This is a great bit. <laughs> it's a good bit, yeah. Mm. What other uses of hyphens are there? I, I don't know. I mean, ASCII art, I Ooh, guess. Ooh, you can like, use them to like break lines yeah yeah that i enjoy yeah that helps with the whole typesetting problem mm-hmm. ask your art that was a good one yeah yeah uh you can use it as a nose in a smiley face oh uh, i i dislike that Me i have too. strong feelings about the nose on the smiley face mm-hmm. it's just it's unnecessary it uses another character and maybe it's just because it always seems to go with people who are like Older people who are trying to text and look cool. Mm-hmm. They're, exactly they're the ones that have thinking. the nose on the smiley face. Yeah, for sure. I was I was thinking the exact same thing. Yeah. Yeah. How so, old is old? How old is old? Isn't old always older than you? Like, I think of old as anyone over exactly my age. <laughs> How old are you again? 26 and a half. How old are you? Oh, uh, 28. Uh, mm, you're, yeah, old, you're old, man. I'm super old. Yeah. So old. Tom's a wee bab. I'm a little baby boy. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think of as old, Albert? As old? I yeah. think 38 is old. I okay. think 35 is like still kind of young. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I hang out with a lot of people that are 35-ish. So they, they still feel like they have some youth left in them. You know, it hasn't been completely sucked out of them. Maybe that's it, though. Maybe it's that like you consider people old who like, when they hit the age bracket that you don't really closely know somebody in there as like a peer. Hmm. So I feel like for me, I I objectively see people as old once they're in like past 50. Hmm. 
Oh, uh, you got a you got a way up there definition well, of old. Just because I know a lot of people in their forties who are like still pretty cool, and but, don't. I seem mean, all I that know old. people in their nineties who are cool, but yeah, but they're old. Yeah, yeah, they're, and they're old cool. Yeah, but it's like by fifty, everyone looks old. In your forties, <laughs> some people still don't look super old. I don't know. Yeah. When my when I was in university, one of my friends had a forty year old friend. So it was just whoa. Is yeah. that? I mean, a, a legit friend, but yeah, that's their. Well, like you have forty-year-old friends, right, totally. Tom? Yeah. yeah, some of my closest friends are like my mom's age. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I've recently mostly have young friends because I'm still stuck, sort of, in the university world, mm. despite being out of it for some time. So I always end up with these youngins who are like, "Tell us your life experience, <laughs> Tim Blay. Show us your wisdom. Tutor me in grade ten math." Yeah. And I'm like, I know less about life than I did when I was your age. <laughs> no, find the less, the more you age, the less you know. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like I, I'm, I'm in a constant state of knowing more than I did before. But the more you age, the more you don't know. I think that's what I mean to say. Oh. It's not that you know less; it's that you don't know more. I guess that's true. But I feel like, I feel like there's some things that I, I continue to know like social things i understand better now than i did then Mm. like i don't think that there's regression in that kind of stuff but then in terms of like realizing that there's more facts that you can know about for sure like the older you get the more you get exposed to and you're like wow i don't know anything about how they make feather pillows (laughs) (laughs) um i think they they sew up sort of like covering for the pillow Mm. and they stuff it with feathers but where and did they, they get the feathers? Sew it up from a chicken. From a chicken. Yeah. See, that's where I'm pretty sure you're wrong. And what, I mean, there's so many. There's there's got to be some chicken feathers going into feather pillows. There's so many chickens. We we eat millions of chickens a year. Sure. What are what would one do with all those feathers? Fertilizer. Just throw them out. Oh, they're not good for. They're, they're, I don't know. Probably. They probably have like. You can't just grow grow rice in chicken feathers. Challenge accepted. I mean, for, like for like uh, cash crops and for for crops for the the feed for the chickens and so have a little a little cycle of life. Grow the cash. <laughs> grow the chicken feed in the chicken feathers and then feed it to the chickens. Exactly. I'm not saying that it's sustainable at all. But, <laughs> but I'm not saying I'm right, but I'm saying <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, we that's can't fair. ask for sustainability from people who produce meat. But I don't know. I'm going to go out on a completely untenable limb here and say that I believe there are chicken feathers in quite a few feather pillows. Yeah. What you can look this up afterwards. I, I can't challenge that. So I'm yeah. going to say it's probably mostly goose. Mostly goose. I feel I feel that's right, but. I don't know anymore. But there's just this discrepancy then between like you've so you've got all these geese and no one eats goose. So you <laughs> you you like use all the goose feathers and then no one wants the goose meat or you use all the like the chicken meat and no one wants the chicken feathers. That just seems like a waste. It's like twice so, as many birds as you need. I'm going to blow your mind for a second here. I'm okay. going to roll a strike down the bowling alley of your brain. I preferred the first metaphor. It sounded more pleasurable. Tim, I'm going to push based on a novel by Sapphire in your brain right now. Um, <laughs> that was a stretch, but so continue. They, they take the feathers from the geese. Yep. They put them in the pillows. They kill the chickens. They take the feathers from the chickens, give them to the geese. <laughs> so Let the geese go free. The geese can have feathers again. Because my, my objection is like usually feathers in pillows are down, and I don't think chickens have downy feathers. Feathers in No, feathers in pillows aren't really down. Oh, the, no, those the, the I, down I think in jackets right, is kind down. Of. That's that's exactly it. I think traditionally it was, but now it's mostly used for. Oh, that is definitely a goose down pillow in the corner of this room. Does it say it's a goose down pillow? It might not on the current packaging, but when we found that in the closet at a house I moved to when I was like 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I should throw that pillow out. <laughs> you really should. That's accumulated a lot of probably microbes and. I, I just assume it's Mites the yelling pillow. Well, yeah, right? you, you, yeah, you go into the corner and you yell in it. You scream into that pillow when you can't deal with the world. Yeah. <laughs> that pillow actually, you know, you know, in Space Jam when they put their hands on the balls, 
Mm. Um, all the little monsters. I don't remember come that in and, Space Jam, but there's been a few other movies. <laughs> so all the little aliens put their hands on the balls and they become Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael Jordan has screamed into this pillow. So every time you scream into this pillow, you get a little better at basketball. Not a lot, just a little. That seems like I would be giving my basketball talent to the ball unless I, or to the pillow, unless I decide to inhale it. Like, if Michael Jordan did the screaming, I need to do the inhaling. I guess I that's true. But maybe you'll just get his voice and you'll be like, no, now I have his voice. <laughs> oh no, I can't do a Michael Jackson impersonation. I'd better. Michael Jackson, eh? Yeah. yeah. Were we talking about Michael Jackson or Michael Jordan? We're I can't remember. About Michael Jordan. Well, I mean, I'd rather have Michael Jackson's voice. That's <laughs> way better. I'd rather have Chris Jackson's voice. I'd rather have Andrew Jackson's spunk. I'd rather have Andrew Jackson's place on the bill. <laughs> bill of rights? Yes, and... <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, am, I hope that answers the question of what life would be like if, if not humans. If not humans, yeah. then what? If not humans, then nothing, right? We wouldn't be here to, to experience the not humans. What do you think an ostrich podcast would be like? Um, what noise? What noise do they make? They make sort of like a. Oh yeah. That's. I think that's it. Actually. Oh yeah. That's probably. Yeah. That's probably uh, Is ostrich riding a thing? Have you seen? Whoa. Is it? I've ride in, an uh, that sounds like Prince something. Prince of Persia. I like, think I've, yeah. That sounds like yeah. something that would be. Yeah, would be in like a video game or and a people high would fantasy get, novel. Like arrested trying to do it. But ostriches can kill you with their feet. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. If, I mean, I guess horses can also kill you with their feet if they feel like it. Ostrich but riding is very real, and it's a sport. Really? I'm really <laughs> People oh, race on ostriches. Is this like, like on the level of bull riding? Like you just try to stay on as long as possible? I guess. Or, uh, Look at this lady. She's having a good time. Hmm. <laughs> That doesn't. She's not on an ostrich, though. That's that, an ostrich. That does but, not look. But she's not. But she's not on it. She's like standing she? beside it. No, no, no. There's a man holding her butt and running alongside the ostrich so she doesn't fall off. What the? Oh. Yeah. See. So if you want to do ostrich riding, you have to have someone supporting you. Yeah. Supporting your butt. Yeah. <laughs> have you guys ever eaten ostrich? Have you guys ever ridden without support? Mm, let us know in the comments. <laughs> Way and away we go, ostrich riding, ostrich riding. So, good song. Yeah. So if you guys want to um, ask us questions about ostriches and the fate of the universe, go to patreon.com slash up for discussion. You can pledge as little as a dollar a month or as little as 50 cents a month. Who cares? As little as one cent a month. But don't, I mean, why? Pledge a dollar. If you're going to give a cent to somebody, give it to someone who really needs it. Give us a dollar. A dollar is not a lot of money. Yeah. Anyone can give us a dollar. They could. I could give us a dollar if you I felt like a dollar. it. And then I could give Patreon five cents of that dollar. Yeah. And so for every dollar that you give us, we get one step closer to doing more cool things for you. And everybody likes those, right? That's true. One step closer to a universe of ostriches. One Ooh. step closer to heaven. One maybe. step closer to the edge. And I'm about to dun, 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 break. Patreon.com slash up for discussion. Exclusive content launches at the end of June. Get in now so you can be on the ground level with cool people like Nathan, Patrick, Joanne, and Clay. On the ground. You're making it sound like a pyramid scheme, which I am not okay with. <laughs> a guy I went to high school with tried to get me into a pyramid scheme once. Was it, uh, was it ACN? No. Okay. Another guy I went to school with gave us internet through ACN, but he never tried to hire me. Oh, really? Okay. What was this, what was this pyramid? This, was, uh, this guy I went to high school with tried to start an entertainment company. Okay. Uh, you know, just hosting parties and things, but it was very pyramid schemey. Like, you give me $5 and I'll give you $10? Give me like $500 and then work for me and you'll make the money back really fast, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and then also, like a pyramid scheme requires that you have to like go recruit more people. Yeah, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That sounds legit. Super legit. Yeah, I got, I think we've talked about the on the podcast before about going to check out the ACN people. Mm-hmm. And how they are silly and pyramidy, um, but yeah, that's my only real experience with. That was a, a going to an ACN meeting, which is it's it's sort of a a borderline legal, um, like telecom pyramid type thing. I think that that actually was a good experience for me. It like opened my eyes up to how 
credible people can be mm-hmm. like and or or i not not credible credulous mm-hmm. like how much people can believe things when their friends tell them mm-hmm. like even if they're even if your friend has given you no details and like no reason to think that this should be true and it's pretty obvious that your friend actually doesn't know what they're talking about many people will believe their friend because the alternative is to think that their friend is, you know, mm. misleading them or lying to them. And I think that's mm. what a lot of these like social pyramid schemes feed off of. So I think that was a good lesson to learn in life to be like, Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a strong bias in the human psyche. It's good to, to like, learn that early. Yeah. To like trust your friend, even if the only reason for it is that they told you. Yeah. I mean, you know, We've never said a one single true thing on this podcast, but all of our listeners are our friends, so they they believe us. Yeah, like you know, you actually believe that there's a guy named Simon, from all, of all things. <laughs> they have no idea that that's actually been an ostrich the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But I mean, do go see him in Coffee Erotica. Your mind will be blown. <laughs> have you ever seen an ostrich running around on stage in just its boxers? Yeah, I drinking, bet you haven't. Drinking coffee and sensually dancing. Ostrich coffee. Mm. Ooh. That could be, that could be good. the worst thing. Yeah. Ostriches lay eggs. You could make like an eggnog and put some in your coffee. Be a I'm, large eggnog. I'm out now. <laughs> You're no, out now? Yeah. You, you ruined the ostrich coffee for me. You're not an eggnog guy? <laughs> no. No. Okay. I, I can have like maybe like a, a very small amount, like a shot glass worth. And then that's my that's my Christmas time eggnog. No, thank you. Is it the is it the egg part of it? Like, is it conceptually the raw egg that freaks you out, or just no, the whole taste of it? I is like gross? raw eggs. Just okay. something about like the it's the nog, right? It's it's totally the nog. Yeah, can't stand it. It's no, a hard nog life. I don't know. Like drinking a very strong drink that is like I don't know has a strange texture to it, mm. and being like, mm, I'm gonna drink a whole carton of that, mm. and then I just never do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Like, you know, for people who haven't tried eggnog, like don't nog it till you try it. But if you have it, you, 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 you're allowed to have that opinion because it's, yeah, it's, it's a strong flavor. <laughs> Tom has, Tom Goodbye, has everybody have a good week. Gotten up <laughs> and is leaving now. Are we done? Did we just finish the podcast? Don't nog it till you try it. Oh, geez. Well, um, thank you. Thank you guys for listening to this podcast. Thank you, Albert, for being on. Thank you. It's been great. Um, Tom's walked off in a huff. Um, but, you know, hopefully he'll be back eventually. For... Oh, the ostrich is sitting down now. I mean, <laughs> Oh, hey, Mr. Ostrich. <laughs> Would you like to play us out with a beautiful song? 